step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Good evening. Welcome to Black Talk. Excuse me. Welcome to Political Prisoner Radio, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. It is good to be on these airways with you again on this Sunday night. Today's date is June 28th, 2015. 2015. I'll tell you this. Um, this month is really going by very, very, very fast. But uh, tonight we uh, want to talk about several uh, different political prisoners. Give me just a second as I try to get my act together and get this uh, stuff set up right. Uh, tonight we want to talk about uh, a couple of new political prisoners. We will be discussing the uh, cases of Bree Newsom. That's Bree Newsom. And I believe the guy who was helping her name is James Tyler, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we Tyson. Tyson. Is it Tyson? Okay, great. All right. So, um... We'll be talking about their cases. We'll also talk about Tom Manning as we highlight a political prisoner uh, birthday this week. Tom Manning, of course, was part of the United Freedom Front. And we should be joined by someone tonight from uh, No Separate Justice. Um, I do want to welcome in Sister Amija. Um, welcome to the program, sis. Hey, good evening, Scotty. And I do have um, Sister Char- Charlene on the, on the line with me. Okay, so yes. okay, welcome to Sister Sister uh, Charlene. I was wondering what that background noise was, but I know that you are calling in from an event, so that uh, that's that's perfectly fine. I know you're in a room full of people, so uh, welcome to the program tonight. And uh, Sister Amijo, will you guide us through this segment with her? Sure. Um, so, um, Sister Charmaine is from the No Separate Justice, um, project, and, uh, we briefly discussed No Separate Justice last week, but, um, Sister, can you, um, give us a, a history or understanding of how you became involved in the political prisoner movement and what you're working on, um, in No Separate Justice? Yes, hi. Uh, good evening. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I became involved in the political prisoners' um, work in the movement, um, um, working around my brother's case, 
who was a targeted, who was born and raised here in, in the U.S. Um, he grew up in Atlanta, and he was targeted under the um, war on terror domestically. Um, he, um, let's see, so he was um, he was translating, he's fluent in Arabic, he was translating political literature from Arabic to English and publishing them online. And that came under surveillance. And then he also, so that's kind of the um, issue around his case. Um, the government has their version. He made some trips with his friends to Canada and D.C., took some pictures and shared them with his friends online. The government has a um, case around that. Uh, but basically, 90% of the time he was uh, translating his uh, literature, came under surveillance. He was kidnapped. He went to Bangladesh in 2005 got married in 2006, and then 10, 12 days after he got married, he was kidnapped by our government, um, by the FBI, in, in um, conjunction with the um, authorities in Bangladesh. Um, then he went missing for a few days. And at the time, it, was, it became very chaotic for us. We were looking for him. We didn't know where he was located. And uh, we thought the government took him to Guantanamo Bay. Um, and then four days um, you know, going, you know, missing in action um, by having been kidnapped, and then we found out with the CNN when the CNN broke the news that um, FBI is bringing in a U.S. citizen from Bangladesh to New York City. Um, that's how I got involved, working around, um, I believe, my campaign to free him um, with local activist communities um, in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Muslim community there. Um, so as a result, as we got, in my family and I, we got connected to different families, many families, different organizations, and, and other political prisoners, um, groups, and movements that, that were in Atlanta. Like in Atlanta, we have the Imam Jan Alamin's um, mm -hmm. um, campaign and movement there, too. And um, right. they, they, they helped us a lot, um, being very supportive. Uh, we learned a lot from, from um, his wife and others that, that were working on his campaign. Mm -hmm. So the No Separate no Justice is also a group of people here in Atlanta. Um, uh, there are activists who were working around the campaign to free uh, Fahad Hashmi, who was a Brooklyn um, college uh, student. And um, he was in England, went to England study, and then there was a one of his acquaintances stayed with him and uh, left like ponchos and, and raincoats, and that became material support in his case. He was also extradited. Um, from the UK to to US, rendition rather, um, and um, so there was a campaign around him in New York City, um, and so his family also started an organization uh, around helping uh, post 9-11 victims of um, the war on terror. Um, so, so those group, and then uh, together with lots of other people like Center for Constitutional Rights, ACLU, the um, Amnesty International, um, this thing just came together, this is what, in 2013, and to decide where, how we could, where we have seen that there's a lot of attention, rightly so, was, was placed on the, the detainees in Guantanamo, the international attention, but there's a human rights and violations that going on in the, in the federal court system. Because you have, uh, when these uh, U.S. citizens are getting incarcerated on the war on terror domestically, there is secret evidence. They are not allowed to see uh, and counter the evidence against them. There are secret witnesses that are used in these cases. Uh, they are placed in long-term solitary confinement. My brother was in solitary confinement all throughout his free trial. 
um, uh, uh, process in incarceration for three and a half years. Um, then some of some of um, a lot of them are under special administration measures where um, where the families are not allowed to even visit them, the lawyers are not allowed to talk to their client, and they are uh, you know they're monitored under surveillance all the time. So as a result of looking at how the court system inside the court, the rights violations were going on, but nobody's paying attention to these, these um, uh, human rights violations that's going on with the cases. And so a group of people... Right, because them. most people just naturally assume that, you know, those these types of things don't happen. Exactly, and, right. and, because, and because it is a federal system, we have this cultural assumption, understanding, oh, they must have done something. The federal court is the justice, you know, of the United States, they're doing the justice. Thing, whereas in Guantanamo Bay, that's all wrong, which is absolutely right. But same thing was going on here too. But we have this cultural understanding of justice and law because it's going through the court system, right. as opposed to in Guantanamo Bay, which is not going through the court system. So, um, so to keep people think together, and, and basically, well, we need to create a larger campaign to shed light on this or, or have a witness to the injustice that, that is going on. Um, and so as a result of that, the No Separate Justice came, um, um, came about, um, initiated uh, last year, actually January, when we first held our first vigil in front of the Metropolitan um, Correctional Center in, 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 in Lower Manhattan, which is the ticket first Monday of every month. And we held a vigil, we have speakers, family members come in to share their stories, what's going on with their cases, update on cases, and then... Um, um, uh, and I, I know uh, we, we, we also hope you know the prisoners can also see a lot of the uh, post 9/11 domestic warrant terror, um, the targeting of Muslims and Muslims in classes are actually um, held at MCC, also in Brooklyn and in, uh, in other places as well. Mm-hmm. And um, they don't Center for Constitutional Rights. We talked about this last week. They actually just won a court case where um, post-9-11 um, political prisoners could actually sue John Ashcroft and other uh, former yes. um, politicians. Okay, mm-hmm. yes. I, um, I am not familiar with that case. However, um, the other thing that is happening with the post-9-11 uh, incarceration of Muslims, there are actually secret prisons, or at the time they were, now it's known after news and, and, and broadcasting, they're called the Communications Management Units. Right. Uh, they're in Illinois. One is in Illinois, another was in Indiana. Uh, they are the special uh, prison that was created in 2006 and 8. Center for, uh, Center for Constitutional, Constitutional Rights brought a lawsuit against both of them, questioning the existence and um, the creation of these facilities inside the federal prison system, right. uh, where you have a largely uh, Muslim, uh, post-modern Muslim incarcerated uh, um, population in these two units. Uh, where there are severe restrictions on communications, um, all the communications outside the world and inside, they're under surveillance 24 hours, video, audio, and then, of course, physical surveillance by, by guards. Mm-hmm. The, when the prisoners make phone calls, they have to um, uh, arrange it, prearrange the phone calls with their family members, with their attorneys, and specifically with their family members. That is that that somebody from uh, in D.C., in a, in the FBI headquarters, they're listening to that live when they're talking to their family members. When we go visit, my brother has been in both of these CMUs. When, you, when we go visit him, there is a, um, a, there's a video, and then somebody listening, listening to us on the phone. The visitation is taking place through a glass, plexiglass, and then there's a live guard outside watching us. 
So there is this uh, surveillance going on with this uh, restricted communication, and then the restriction around their religious um, um, uh, practices and 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 and, and um, um, basically around religious practices. Uh, Center for CCR has filed a lawsuit. Then their prisoners, uh, John Walker Lind, who was one of the the American Taliban, that's how we know him. Mm-hmm. He also filed a lawsuit against the Terre Haute CMU around the five time daily prayers, mm-hmm. where um, he won that um, that that uh, was in 2012 or 2013. Basically, the, uh, the prison was um, obstructing them from making their five daily prayers in congregation. That's kind of a uh, what people do when you are all, you know, when you, when a group of Muslims are in, in one place, people usually pray together. Um, so that was a problem. Um, they didn't allow it for the longest time, and and after the lawsuit, um, it's not even even in a group that they're allowed to pray. They can pray like two two people uh, um, in, in in their cell, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, so this is, that was that's the lawsuit that I know about from CCR, um, and um, the, the there were two lawsuits. The prayer lawsuit was by ACLU Indiana, and CCR basically questioned the existing of the CMUs, and um, they are appealing that because the the CMUs they kind of regular uh, they standardized the regulation around the CMUs, which was up in um, which was questionable or, or not formalized before. And after the lawsuit, they just formalized it last, actually in January, I think, they formalized it, and so, um, so CCR are now achieving it. In the process of the discovery, what they found, CCR found, is that um, discovery materials demonstrate that they, these prisoners were placed in the CMU as a result of their political and religious views. So that's a discrimination. Um, so yeah. Right, because one of those other prisoners at the time was... Um, uh, uh, an eco uh, activist, uh, Daniel McGowan. Daniel McGowan, yes, 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 I know, yes. Yeah, yes. so they, what they did when they, they first placed the Muslim prisoners there, when when Washington, I think it was Washington Post, broke the news about the CMUs, then they started putting in these environmentalist animal rights activists, which are basically, uh, you know, uh, white people, in there to make it look like they, they were called the balancer, to balance out the population so it doesn't look like they're discriminating Muslim population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, you mentioned your brother John Walker Lind. Can you tell us about some of the um, other um, prisoner cases? Just like highlight a few of them. I noticed um, yeah. there's the Holy Land Five, uh, yeah. Tarek Mahama, who is actually considered a political prisoner by several other organizations like yeah. the Jericho Movement and yeah. Anarchist Black Girls. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so we have my brother's case, which was, he was translating, um, the government case was around material support, conspiracy. There are usually conspiracy cases are overblown and, and, and then a lot of things, other, a lot of other legal actions get attached to those conspiracies. Right. Um, then we have the Fahad Hashmi's case, which was about basically his, uh, one of his roommates or a person that he allowed to stay like a few days and that person left raincoat and ponchos and that became material support because that person was in, in supposedly according to the government was in, in connection with some other other groups that the government designated as a terrorist organization that's one case that that's in new york city or was in new york city um Bahad Hashmi right now is in the cmu sarif mahana is in the cmu his case is about sarif mahana and my brother was actually translating for the same website mm-hmm. um and both of their translations basically came under 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 surveillance 
And um, in his case, it was all about his translation, um, uh, where the government basically used his translations as the material support. Uh, whereas in my, my brother's case, they kept the translation as a secret evidence. We did not find out about what the secret evidence was until like a month, two months before the trial. My brother did not know um, until these two or three months before the trial. Um, then we have the, um, in, in, in New York City, you have Shahar Matin Siraj. Uh, he was entrapped by NYPD and the FBI together. Um, uh, it's, it's called in the, in the media or the government calls it the Herald Square bombing case, but um, he was basically entrapped. Um, and then we have the four big five case. Uh, there are five young men from uh, Albania, um, uh, Turkey, and then I think Palestinian. The friends, that was also an entrapment case. In that case, um, uh, they, some of them, most of them actually have life imprisonment, um, and one of them has life imprisonment plus $1 million of fees, uh, retribution fees. So it's really strange. This is a case they were entrapped by agents, by informants, and then on top of that, uh, they're uh, you know, getting life imprisonment for something that they have nothing to do with. And then you have this $1 million retribution. This is absolutely unjust and unfair to the families, to the prisoners, uh, to the Muslim community as a whole. Um, then you have um, the Holding Foundation, again, which is, again, for um, the, the, the family members or the individuals who are incarcerated. They're also in the CNUs or have been in the CNUs. Some of them have been out of out from CNUs recently. They're basically giving charity um, to uh, to children in hospitals or education in Palestine. And that came under target um, by the government and the families got, um, they have young children, um, all these families, all these cases, you know, you have family members, what happens with these cases? Um, you know, that's when you see how, how the law is being used to basically perpetrate violence on, on the Muslim community. The families, we have already, there is a collective, um, Collective um, stigma and uh, and the the larger Muslim community, the collective um, uh, uh, guilt that 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 is imposed on on the Muslim community, and then when somebody gets targeted and incarcerated in these kind of cases, then you have um, the the isolation and the stigma within the Muslim community, um, where these families get alienated and isolated from their larger Muslim you know uh, local community Muslim community, and. Um, and stigma, stigmatized. Um, this is right. Scotty. I have a, I have a question about something you brought, um, something that, um, was touched upon as far as the, um, entrapment. We see a, a lot of that happening in the Muslim community and we see a lot of it happening in the black community. And one of yes. the things that I notice, and I want to know if you notice the same thing, is that in the, in, you know, we just suffered a horrific terrorist attack on a historic black church in South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina. Yes. And one yes. of the things that I had, had written about was the fact, and I talked about it on another radio program, is the fact that how come we don't see this sort of thing happening to these potential white terrorists that they call in domestic terrorists or white ring, right wing extremists and, and things of that. Now, have you noticed that, uh, you know, or maybe it's just me? Yes, of course. There is, there is this double standard, right? When you have the issues around, uh, uh, around Muslims, 
uh, community uh, members have been incarcerated when, when they have not committed any violence or any crime in their life. My brother has not committed even a petty crime. Um, but then they're basically attaching this kind of notions of violence when you, the, the evidence does not even show that. And then you have, you know, uh, something like that happened in uh, that the guy's name, I, don't, I forgot his name, so Hofer or something, um, the white the kid in the black church, historical black church, he actually committed violence. Um, and it's, it's a double standard that we have how society and how immigrants and people of color Muslim, African-American, other, other communities of color are, are marginalized by the law. You know, white supremacy is inscribed in the law of this country, in the court system, in the, in the legal system. Now, so it's, it's, it's always, always benefiting, mm-hmm. um, you know, white supremacist ideologies and practices and, and, and institutionalization of that and marginalizing and committing uh, legal violence on, 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 on communities of color. Now, another another thing I had um, also noted, and I wrote this on Facebook, is that the only time I see the, the you know, not that I see everything, but I pay attention to the news a lot because that's what I do. That's, you know, I'm a citizen journalist. But I noticed the only time white people are getting arrested is when they Muslims and they being framed. And, and would your brother, I mean, you know, I don't know, so I'm asking, but, you know, if I look, I'm looking at a picture of your brother, and if I was to see him on the street, you know, I would classify him as white. I would think that I don't know how he classifies himself. But I have noticed that the only time I see white people being brought up on these sort of charges is when they're Muslims. Have you noticed that too? Uh, with the with the post now, yeah. So I see. Um, so the, exactly. So it's it's the, exactly. So it's the issue around um, when you are actually Muslim, whether you're white, uh, black, or brown. Um, uh, so the issue is is that you know Muslim communities uh, when when um, people are getting. If you see, see through my brother's um, trial, that the Maya, if you look at the transcript, or that's my transcript. You see the, the, in the court, the, a lot of religious, uh, cultural things are being taken out of context and misinterpreted. And as a result of the, the community members, and we felt that Islam was being attacked, um, in, in the court, because the, 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 the judge doesn't understand the Islamic culture, the Muslim culture, or the religion, and, and the court doesn't actually even care about religion. The court is in the separation charge and state. Um, at the same time, the court is actually Deciding matters of religion, religious practices of of the, the defendant of this of the of the person who's, who's accused, um, and then and, and of course when when a white person in accepts Islam and becomes Muslim, it's, it's also um, um, that's when they're getting targeted with these kind of charges and cases because it's the mm-hmm. it's the, it's the Muslimness um, mm-hmm. and Islam is in in question here, and, mm-hmm. and and as a result, what's happening in 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 what I think is happening, and I'm actually doing my dissertation on this. As well, I think it's it's a creation of trying to create a moderate Islam. It's the state trying to create a moderate Islam. The state is really involved in crafting a religion or or, or religion that it supports, and so that's then you have the the the, there's a huge constitutional issue. You know, the separation. Where is the separation of church and state? When the state is very actively involved through the court, through its practices. Um, by, inform- by, by sending informants in our communities, what is happening is that Muslim community members are afraid to go to the mosque and to pray. So basically, that person is no longer now getting the benefit of praying inside the mosque. Um, 
so yeah, I, I just think the state is involved in meddling with the religion here in in, uh, in in regards to Islam, and and we're not paying attention to it. Uh, what's going on? I don't have any more questions, Sister Mija. Um, yes, Sister. So you started before Scotty started asking questions. You were talking more about um, some of the um, campaigns. Um, can you continue? I know we, I think you had started talking about, um, the Fort Dix. Yes. And so, um, the, you know, local communities, uh, when, you know, the Fort Dix fire, they had a little campaign around there, their, their loved ones. I had, we had a campaign in Atlanta, Boston, and there was a campaign around Tarakanahana, Fahad Hashmi, New York. Um, so all these campaigns have come together as a no separate justice campaign kind of um, under that also. But there are new cases where people are trying to, local communities are also working on um, in, in, in other places. Uh, we from IMUTA National Coalition to Protect Civil Freedoms, we um, also look into these cases. Uh, we monitor these cases. And um, we have programs like we do Ramadan gift programs where we try to collect donations and then send $100 to as many prisoners as we can get. Um, we have started a Ramadan letter and postcard writing to these prisoners, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, basically one, uh, the Muslim community has been kind of in, living in fear as a result of this kind of targeting, and, and, and we have Muslims in prison, and they actually want the community to be, they want to communicate with their own community members. So the target audience for during Ramadan is the Muslim community, and so we're trying to do a lot of activities around that. Um, volunteers are writing to Muslim prisoners. Um, I'll be doing a, a uh, in conjunction with other groups here. I'll be uh, organizing one uh, uh, Eid, Eid card greetings um, event uh, later on. Um, so that's another campaign. Uh, we are um, from the National Coalition to Protect Civil Freedoms. We do public education events on these issues, preemptive prosecutions. Uh, targeting or surveillance and the prison conditions are kind of our main focus. Um, these are kind of the the organizational um, campaigns that, that we are engaged in in order to shed light or, or try to help. We also um, have a Families of Prisoners Conference fixed this twice a year where we try to bring as many families as we can get so they can support a network with each other. We have found that when the families who are isolated in their own community, some of the families families actually believe they're the only one with this kind of cases. So when we brought them together, we saw the change in them. You know, they they were like, oh wow, there are other people like us we didn't know, and so that kind of helped them just to be in a space, safe space where they they get to know other people who are like them. So that's something that we as an organization try to support them with. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That 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 I think is extremely important because a lot of people do think, you know, that they're on their own and they they do feel isolated and they feel, you know, it's it's unfortunate. Um, you know, even with a lot of our older political prisoners and their children and their families, people start feeling shame. You yeah. know, when it's not anything that. You know, they did, and in many situations, you know, people stood up for what they know to be right, stood up for a social justice issue or stood up for a social justice cause, you know. Um, yes. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of fear. Within the Muslim community, there's a lot of fear um, because they're under surveillance. They're informed. In, in New York City, there's informed in every, you know, mosque, people living in fear, and... Um, 
And when these kind of things happen, it kind of perpetuates Islamophobia. It kind of perpetuates this, this idea that you right. know, there's such thing as terrorists when these are actually all imaginary, you know, imagined uh, con- uh, construction of, of, of Muslims. Um, and, um, and, and, and then when, again, the court system plays such a big role in that construction, because when it goes to the court system, people actually, oh, he must have done something. That's why he got convicted. Um, so there's this cultural understanding we have on these issues that kind of keeps, keeps perpetuating Islamophobia and Islamophobic violence on the Muslim community. And then, of course, other uh, communities of color, because you have Sikhs who get mis- misidentified as Muslim when they're actually right. not Muslim. Right, right. And there was that shooting. And, okay. and I said, yes. and, and right, and and I was telling somebody the other day that I actually thought that that shooting was very comparable to what just happened down in uh, Charleston. Charleston, yeah, right. right, exactly, exactly, exactly. And this is all related, also. You know what happened in Charleston with the, with the black community, and and and, hap- and and that that community has been historically targeted. You know, um, in this way, and this is like the new coin for era that we are living through right now with what's going on in the Muslim community. Um, again, I see that law, you know, how white supremacy is inscribed in the law, in the practices of the law. So it's kind of really institutionalized and systemic issue of racism and whatnot that we are living with, that we have to work together, build coalition on the ground um, uh, in order to encounter these and change these, these violent um, processes that, that, that kind of engulfs our life I will- and, and, and against our life. I would like to underscore that point that you just made about the new era of COINTELPRO. I think that is a great, uh, accurate statement because I have said in the past that COINTELPRO never ended. It just turned into something else. Now it's bigger and badder than ever. And so I like, I like that phrase that you use, a new era of COINTELPRO. But another thing though, just to highlight the, the inherent racist and white supremacist way that the United States is engaged in a quote unquote war on terror. Well, another thing that the terrorist attack that occurred in Charleston, uh, South Carolina, uh, brought to the forefront, at least, you know, I'm not seeing it on mainstream media, but I've been writing about it and I've seen other people in alternative media talking about the fact that they eviscerated I mean, the, uh, the unit in Homeland Security that tracks, uh, right wing extremists, white, aka white terrorists. It's only one, they only uh, got one person in that unit now. So again, that just goes to highlight and show us, you know, the, the, uh, racist white supremacist way that they are, uh, you know, practicing or prosecuting this so-called war on terror. Exactly, exactly. Definitely. This is just a, Continuation of different way um, the system targets different communities of, of color, and 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 um, in order to further its empirical, you know, uh, expand its empire and, uh, on the globe and power, basically, it's uh, empire and power of, uh, around the globe. Yeah. Was there by subjugating by subjugating um, others, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Well, was there anything as we've reached the halfway point in our program and we have uh, other segments we need to cover? Is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with as final thoughts? And please give out any websites or Facebook pages you would like them to uh, take a look at. Yes. So to um, 
to help out with our prisoners, I mean, a letter writing campaign that's going on right now this month, uh, you can visit the www.civilfreedoms.org. That is C-I-V-I-L, freedoms, F-R-E-E-D-O-M-S dot org. Um, no Separate Justice also has a website where you can get information about our vigils. So vigils are, uh, vigils take place first Monday of every month. The one is coming up on the 6th of this month. And that is no um, hyphen uh, separate justice dot org. Um, uh, we have also our Facebook pages for both of these um, organizations that people can visit and get information and keep in touch with us for updates and cases and family stories and, and prisoner stories as well. Well, thank you once again for joining us, Sister Omija. You have any final words before we take our station identification break? Uh, Thank you, Sister, for joining us. And, you um, you know, I look forward to speaking to you more and working with you more in the future to uh, support, um, you know, the cases uh, within the campaign. Yes, thank you so much for having me. And, um, yes, you have to be in charge and let us know. uh, how we can work together. Yes. We'll talk more. Inshallah. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Dear friends from the Black Talk Radio Network, this is Nestor Garcia speaking from Havana, Cuba. And what I want to tell you is that you have all our solidarity on your fight for the several political prisoners that have been held by the U.S. government. Our comrades and we will fight for the social, political, and human rights of the masses in your country, and we are ready to help you in all the ways we can. So count on us for all your campaign and for all the things you want to do for the freedom of your people and the freedom of the political prisoners. Welcome back. You're listening to Political Prisoner Radio right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. We broadcast this program every Sunday night uh, creator willing at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. This program is, is uh, co-hosted by myself and Sister Amijo, Amijo Whitlock. Uh, Sister Amijo, um, wow, I, I was taken by surprise. I had no idea that we'd be speaking to the uh, sister of John Walker Lynn. Sister Amijo, you there? Uh-oh, looks like we lost Sister Amijo. Uh, y'all hold on while I get, uh, Sister Amijo right back on the line. Uh, somehow we lost her. Uh, we w- do want to, uh, talk about the cases of, uh, Bree Newsom. Okay, we had lo- lost you, okay. sis. Sorry about that. 
Yeah. So I was just telling the listeners we were going to transition and talk about uh, Bree uh, Newsome and the guy, the other guy who, what's his name again? James uh, Tyson. James Ian Tyson. James Tyson. Bree Newsome and James Tyson. For those who don't know who, who that is, well, you probably have been seeing the uh, pictures of the sister from North Carolina who scaled the flagpole down there on the Capitol grounds of South Carolina and removed that flag. And so uh, James Tyson is lesser known. A lot of people don't know or or are not mentioning his name, but he was the second person arrested who was assisting uh, her. He was he was the white guy that was at the bottom of the flagpole who was in safety gear. He kind of at first I thought that was like a state worker. But as it turns out, that was actually James Tyson. And I believe he is the one who trained her on how to climb that pole. But what what was your initial thoughts when you heard this story? Um, I think there's been a considerable, you know, amount of debate regarding the Confederate flag. Um, it's a historical debate um, that's been raging on. Um, it's issues across the country of various different, you know, uh, symbols of hate and statues and, you know, um, Confederate soldiers and um you know, different things like that just all across the country. I know there are a lot of issues here in, in Baltimore, Maryland. And, I mean, one of those is that we, we have a park here named Robert E. Lee, you know. So we have a Robert E. Lee Park. Um, there's Christopher, Christopher Columbus statue. Um, there's, there's several um, Confederate statues across the state. Um, somebody was mentioning um, there was a bust of uh, Tawny. Um, who was the judge in um, the, the Dred Scott case. Um, so there are all these symbols of racism and white supremacy that exist in our daily life. Even, I mean, there's multitude of symbols around, you know, uh, Washington, D.C., and so on and so forth. So, um, But some people would go so far as to say whether it's the Confederate flag or the U.S. flag, you know, um, that, that they are interchangeable symbols of racism and white supremacy, um, I guess it depends on someone's um, individual ideology and how um, they would view them. Um, but in this scenario, um, you know, Sister Bree and uh, James decided that, um, in, as they said in their statement, that they were no longer willing to wait um, to see this, you know, flag removed. And apparently in the state, it is, uh, it's protected by state law. Um, well, all of those yeah. monuments and flags are, are protected. And I guess right. I can go ahead and spill the beans about what I had planned to do, but I can't do it because if I, if I go to jail for six months, if I don't win my trial or whatnot for defacing or destroying or damaging or vandalizing a monument, then, you know, there'll be nobody here to run the network. I don't have anybody else trained. I, I had some people I was trying to train, train, but, you know, that's been a slow going, so there'll be nobody. But I wanted to scale the courthouse um, 
We have a, a, a monument about a hundred feet high up in the air, so probably as high as that flagpole with a Confederate soldier on top of it. And I wanted to go out there and scale that thing and take a sledgehammer and, and, and bust them off of there, you know, and mm-hmm. then go to court and argue my case that this isn't, this isn't a monument. This isn't, uh, you know, whatever you're trying to call. This is a terrorist symbol. This is the symbol of terrorism. These are the right. symbols uh, of of traitors. If you know, if you want to look at it from the perspective of the United States, but you know, just to bring attention, just for that propaganda purpose, because we have another monument. I, I I wanted to take red paint. And pour it over this monument that's like a tombstone, but it's it's not a tombstone, and it's sitting right up there in front of the uh, the voting uh, polling place where we go vote vote every year, you know. And, and I first noticed it several years ago, and and so I don't, you know, we we, you know, most of my family around here are property owners. We pay property, and we probably pay more property taxes than a lot of people considering the land holdings that we have. And so I feel like, you know, you. You know, although I'm not proud of my service in the United States military when I was young because I was confused and had not yet, you know, come into uh, um, um, the consciousness that I am in now. But I will I will use that veteran card on you. You know what I'm saying? If it will if it will benefit me, I will tell you my military service, depending upon who I'm talking to. But then when I look back and I'm hoping this will happen in the case of 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 James and Sister Bree is that the same argument, legal argument that I just made to you, because that would even more apply to that flag because that battle flag that they fly in is the battle flag of General Lee in the Northern Virginia Army. No regiments mm-hmm. out of South Carolina fought under that flag. No regiments out of Gaston County, Lincoln County, and Cleveland County in North Carolina fought under that flag. They had their own battle regimental flags. And, and, and so I also look at it, I was looking at it from the perspective of I've been doing research, sis, on, on the Civil War in my county, just in my county. And there, and then I found out that there were a lot of black union troops who was whooping them, them, them racist, white supremacist terrorists behind. And it's a, it's a slap to their memory. It's an affront to their memory, you know, and I know it was purposefully done, you know, as a symbol of terrorism. And don't get it twisted. That wasn't raised as no kind of, you know, part of my heritage. Well, if your heritage is terrorism and slavery, but we know here in the Klan, again, we didn't know no Confederate unions, and it was only three counties. It might have been four counties. Wait a minute, three counties. So we know that you we we know that all of North Carolina wasn't in the Confederacy or whatnot. But we know in North Carolina, which had the largest membership of the Klan, that 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 Dixie flag or whatever they call it. Uh, uh, the bars and stars or whatever that that was adopted as a terrorist symbol like it was by the Klan immediately after the Civil War so I feel like Bree and James if they have legal representation that that's an argument that they should make that in re- in reality but again like you just mentioned though they passed the law specific to protect that flag so the only thing that we can hope if we can't convince the uh, prosecutor to drop the charges is that just like when they were arresting people 
on the Underground Railroad that was assisting enslaved Africans that when they went to trial, those people voted not guilty because they didn't, they, they didn't agree with the law. They didn't think that they, these people should be punished for helping, uh, enslaved Africans escape the freedom. And so that was what I was looking at. Well, maybe I could go in there. I could make an argument. I could play the, the, you know, the African American military veteran and whatnot. And this ain't right. And, and, you know, where are the monuments to the 1,000, I think 1,300 enslaved Africans you had in this county? Where are the monuments to the Union soldiers? You, you see where I'm going with this, sis? But I decided mm-hmm. that I'm going to take a, a less more uh let's say a less radical um less radical form of action instead of scaling that monument and busting that soldier down and pouring uh red paint all over that other monument because as people can convince me that you know they need me in terms of this network and and i just wish you know that um I just wish that I could do this because I really, really want to do it. I just really, it just really eating at my soul. I just really, really want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the one of the other issues here is just like the connecting the history between, you know, um, your wanting to do that action and. You know, Bree and James, um, and, and political prisoners, you know, in general, um, when agents killed, um, Fred Hampton and Mark Clark, um, the Weather Underground declared war, you know, um, on the United States and therefore shows, you know, various different, you know, symbols, um, that they felt, um, should be, um, attacked. Um, so this is not something that is new. This is the history of struggle and, you know, rebellion, um, you know, within the United States and our 500 years of struggle against racism and, and the white supremacy and trying to tear it down. Right, right. Most definitely. And then later on this week, um, I'm going to be doing a program because, Man, I want to make sure my audio ain't is uh right, cause my my audio levels are kind of high tonight, so I might need to just lower my voice. But um, I know there are some people out there that say you know this and that that's not gonna end racism, white supremacy. Well, no individual act is gonna end racism and white supremacy. It's a combination of right. of acts. In a war, right. there are many battles in a war before you win the war. So, you know, don't play on, don't play on people's intelligence and insult us by suggesting that we're naive enough to believe that. But, like I, like I posted, um, on my Facebook page later this week, I'm going to go over some research. Well, I'm going over the research now on propaganda in war. Because people don't understand the value of, of of the image of her at the top of that pole, uh, having you know taken down that flag, that that's that's propaganda image right there. You know what I'm saying? That's and a very powerful image. That's a very powerful propaganda image, and the enemy uses propaganda images. And there's a whole history of propaganda how it's used in warfare. So again, I think a lot of people are, of our people are are just not knowledgeable on 
warfare they're just not knowledgeable on things like media and propaganda and you know the things that you mentioned about the importance of symbols in struggle and 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 so i'm gonna do that later uh in the program so you know regardless of anything think about it this way i i think i also posted this now when those terrorist attack happened after they caught that terrorist in, in Cleveland County, North Carolina, which is adjacent to this county because we share the border, uh, we share a border with them and South Carolina. Um, the last image that we had in, in racist man and woman was promoting all over their televisions and sending out to the world in their different publications was, uh, and, and don't take this the wrong way because I'm not dogging anyone. But the image of that, of the victim's families in their, in that courtroom saying, I forgive you to this terrorist. Now, regardless, let's set aside people's differences in political beliefs and whatnot, but just look at it in the practical sense of warfare and propaganda. And I've noticed and other people have noticed that they only ask black victims if they've forgiven, you know, the criminals and, and the terrorists and, and, and people who have killed one of their loved ones. They didn't, you know, at the uh, Boston Marathon bomber trial, they didn't ask anybody if they forgave this guy. They ain't asked anybody when, Os- when Osama bin Laden was being blamed for 9-11. They wasn't talking about asking none of the victim family members if, if they forgive him and if they praying for him and all this and that. And so now instead of them keep pushing that image, now what are they pushing? They pushing an image of a black woman at the top of a pole taking direct action, uh, pulling down this terrorist flag. And I'd much rather that image be going forth than the image of the passive forgiven Negro. You got any thoughts, sis? Um, I think that, you know, people have discussed the image and the mentality of, um, you know, people shooting back and shooting back as a form of curing racism and one of the issues that I've I've seen in the media is people saying that, you know, how horrible, you know, a person, you know, he was as the church was so welcoming to him, having been there for an hour in Bible study and how he could do that in such a sacred place, you know, and the fact, the history of that church, that that was the Church of Denmark, Bessie, and how, um, you know, people think, you know, what are, are rethinking thoughts on um, gun ownership and rethinking thoughts on, um, you know, a, approaching sacred spaces and so forth. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Have, have, you know, and, um, you know, just people, you know, being hesitant towards, you know, opening doors and fellowshipping you know, spiritually with people of, of other races and different beliefs, you know, um, when things like this, you know, ha- have occurred. And it's also been likened to, um, you know, the bombing of the four little girls, you know, in the history here and, and, and making that connection between racism and white supremacy, you know, what it looked like, you know, what it looks like now and what it looked like then. 
You know, there really is no difference between those two different terrorist attacks. And the question of the FBI actually declaring it not a terrorist attack, you know, which really set me off. Yeah, most definitely. Now, I haven't heard anything, and I'm not expecting anything from the Department of Justice, but I have heard that they are investigating it as a, a act of domestic terrorism. But you're exactly right. James Comey, I think, is the FBI director. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, the investigation wasn't even over. I mean, you ain't even investigated this totally. I mean, he said that within, what, two days, 48 hours? He came out and said that? So what what does right. that what what did that tell you? He's a terrorist sympathizer in my book, but he didn't hesitate to throw our sister Sada Shakur up on that most wanted terrorist list. And what has she bombed? You know how many people did she kill running up in a church or something like that? For him to say that this wasn't an act of terrorism again, like I said on my Facebook profile, the FBI is a terrorist organization. Oh, of course they are. You know. Um they are in cahoots with federal, state, and other local law enforcement. And if we know that local law enforcement is, you know, inundated with racists and white supremacists, it goes all the way up the chain, all the way up to the top. And, I mean, all you have to do is, you know, crack open some books and look at some of these legal cases and and you'll see the things that not only are they doing here in this country, but what's happening in other countries. You know, how the CIA and FBI have been used to kill, you know, um, leaders across the world. You know, we we know that the case in, um, you know, Patrice Lumumba, we know they were involved in the incarceration of Nelson Mandela. Uh, we know that they were involved in the death of, you know, Muammar Gaddafi and, I mean, countless others across the board. I mean... Look, the U.S. government has, you know, in the in the military, the School of America, you know, where they're training different people here, you know, to go back and, and engage in oppression, you know, within their own community, you know. Um, I mean, that's basically, you know, um, some of the things that, that, is, that is happening, you know, and that we already know, I mean, just the drug trade and everything else that... Um, that the the federal agents have historically been involved in and other um you know various different things and um what is it the in mexico it was um the fast and and furious right um or or how however that was um defined where we know that they were you know running drugs and guns in a certain neighborhoods you know um for, for that devastation and various forms of population control, you know. Uh, we know that they're doing that kind of stuff. You know, we know that they're putting out various forms of biological warfare, you know. Um, I mean, it just goes deeper and deeper. Yes. So, you know, people that are, are up on the history of the United States uh, government as well as specifically the history of FBI as you know our last guest talk, brought up COINTELPRO that's the right. FBI that's the FBI J. Edgar Hoover and, and like you mentioned we know that they work with law enforcement agencies all across this country to put the po- very political prisoners we talk about on this program to either put them in prison or assassinate them right. so, 
So it, it should become, it should be no surprise to anyone that, you know, they came right out and said that this, this, this white, uh, racist, uh, did not commit an act of terrorism. So, you know, anyway, I still believe though that we should be, uh, speaking truth to power at all times and, and making demands on this government. And, you know, I put together a petition asking them, no, let me back up, demanding that they restore the personnel to the right wing, you know, terrorist, uh, unit that's in Homeland Security that they gutted in 2010. And again, I have no faith. Don't get it twisted. I don't have any faith in this government to do justice. I don't, but uh, that's to win. That petition is really to inform others and to send a message to them to let them know that we know exactly what you did and we ain't stupid about what you doing. So don't get it twisted that I that I wrote that petition hoping for some change from President Obama or this Congress. No, it, it's to send a message. Um, what now? I was confused about this, and, and again, for those that don't know, I only became aware of political prisoners a little over three years ago. I saw one of the founders of this program. Uh, Sister Marpessa, who then, you know, uh, um, networked with Sister Amijo and then political prisoner was born. And I was new to this. I had no idea that there were, you know, political prisoners. And I kept seeing her post about it. So I asked her, I was like, man, I had no idea these people even existed. You know, I, I knew about Black Panther Party, but I ain't know, you know, some of them brothers and sisters was in prison. I didn't know that. And, 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 and so, you know, I'm still learning a whole lot and I wasn't sure if Bree, Sister Bree and James could, cause somebody said we should cover them on political prisoner radio and try to get them on the program. And I said, I don't know. Or can they, I don't think they can be considered political prisoners yet. And you, and I, you know, uh, tagged you to ask you and you said, yes, they are. So can you explain for our listeners what what qualifies a person as a political prisoner as opposed to a prisoner of politics? Um, a prisoner of war is someone, a, a political prisoner is someone that engages in a political act and their incarceration is, de- is directly associated to that political act. So um, Bree and James going to remove um, that flag that was, um, you know, a symbol of, uh, you know, racism and white supremacy is, uh, in fact, a political act, and their arrests are associated to being engaged in that political act. So we have more than 100 and diff- 150 different political prisoners in the United States that are, you know, incarcerated for a multitude, you know, of, of different situations, not, you know, any one specific political prisoner's cases um, are the same, Um, although specifically with some of our older um, political prisoners, uh, victims of COINTELPRO, many of them um, are alleged to have had confrontations with um, law enforcement. Um, But, you know, as... uh, you know, we continue to struggle to fight off, you know, racism and white supremacy and homophobia and, you know, all of the 
the and 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 various different issues in our society, you know, we begin to um, this system criminalizes various forms of defense. Um, so those people that have fought against this system in a multitude of ways become political prisoners based on their actions. So we've mentioned, um, you know, last week one of the people that came home from um, the G20 in Toronto um, several years ago um, and what he was allegedly accused of. We, we've we talked about, you know, historically we've talked about, you know, uh, our victims of, of Pro in the Omaha too and, you know, our political prisoners in New York and, and Leonard Peltier and, you know, it's just, and then our, our animal activists and, and earth liberation activists that, you know, have gone to jail for supposedly, you know, destruction of property and freeing animals and, you know, doing various things. And then we've had, you know, Brother Waylon Gray on where he was, you know, fighting to protect um, a sacred space from, um, you know, that was being demolished and, you know, a sacred burial ground with ancestors. Um, from being desecrated um, for money. So, I mean, there's a multitude of ways and actions that would lead somebody to becoming a political prisoner. So at this point, you know, um, there are a multitude of charges that Bree and James uh, will face. The last time I looked at the Indiegogo account, uh, Bree um, had at least um, $100,000 and I know you and I had talked about Michael Moore being supportive, um, their support pouring in, you know, throughout um, the country um, on on behalf of um, Bray and, um, and and James Tyson. And you know, it's it's going to be um, a long battle. And even here in Baltimore, you know, we still you know are not finished with all of our cases associated to. You know, um, the, the people rising up and, and fighting against police terrorism and genocide here in Baltimore. Right, right. And um, now we know that um, trials and everything aren't going to start until October. And what, what we found out is that on Monday there was a judge signed to their case that actually is allowing the police officers to write. They, were, they did not have to come to court to plead guilty. They were able to plead not guilty um, via um, via letter. What so, special yes, treatment? They, wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. So they did not have to come to court. They only had they could hand in a document. Mm-mm-mm. Then also we can't forget the political prisoners that came out of Ferguson because I imagine many of them might still be you know right. going winding through the courts if not in in jail or or in prison. Already, because they're, you know, we don't really have any alternative media in that area to, you know, get the word out so that we can publicize it internationally. Right. And what we do also know, and I found out um, this week, um, as I asked more questions from those that were um, involved in the legal apparatus of our structure here in Baltimore, and just finding out, like, you know, there's been the overcriminalization of youth where youth who have, you know, got the curfew violation or whatever specific charge that they're being overcriminalized compared to, you know, what an adult um, was charged with and or released. So 
there are actually some youth that have been pulled further into the juvenile system because they were a part. Well, of, they, well, of the well sis, they got to fill up that brand spanking new youth detention facility mm-hmm. they just built up there now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You right. Know, you know what's going on better than most. <laughs> That's right. what's going on. So, yeah. Um we're going to take another station identification break. We're going to go over just a little bit because I want to talk about uh, Thomas Manning. Today is his birthday. Happy birthday to you. Um, he's a political prisoner who was connected with the United Freedom Front. I have a, a throwback article about Thomas Manning from the New York Times that I'm going to uh, share with you. But again, uh, we have incorporated a segment where each week, if there is a political prisoner who has an upcoming uh, birthday, let me uh, check the calendar right quick. I believe Thomas, yeah, Thomas is the only one who has a birthday this week. So we're going to talk about him, the United Freedom Front. I was uh, mentioning them to someone earlier today, and they said that, you know, they kind of faintly remember hearing about them but they can't recall so i hope that you're tuned in um also um, let's go ahead and open up the phone lines uh 704-951-5030 if you would like to make a quick comment or or ask us a question related to political prisoners or anything we've been talking about you can reach us at that number you're listening to political prisoner radio part of the black talk radio network and we will be right back this is Ron hayes with hood news and you're listening to the black talk radio network stay tuned structure has successfully created uh, the image of the American Negro as someone with no confidence, no militancy, and uh, they had done this by giving him images of heroes that weren't truly militant or confident. And now here come Cassius, uh, the exact contrast of everything that uh, was representative of the Negro image. He said he was the greatest. Uh, all of the odds were against him. He upset the odds makers. He won. He became victorious. He became the champ. They knew that as soon as uh, if people began to identify with Cassius and the type of image he was creating, they were going to have trouble out of these Negroes because they'd have Negroes walking around the street saying, I'm the greatest, 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 greatest. specifically welcome i'm sorry welcome back to political prisoner radio scotty reed in on this broadcast with sister amija witt live behind the enemy lines known as usa inc um i shared that clip specifically because it relates to the power of images see malcolm x is the reason that black talk media project um exists i've never met malcolm x of course you know uh, even though I was living in Detroit at the time where he had that, when he had a temple, um, that he was leading in Detroit, 
Uh, but I was just, I was maybe two years old, three years old. But so you might say, well, how did Malcolm X, uh, play a role in creating the Black Talk Media Project? Well, I had gotten, uh, seriously injured on a construction job and I was laid up partially paralyzed for, for one year. And so the only thing I could really do was get on the internet. And so I'm looking at all this stuff on YouTube and, 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 you know, uh, searching out videos from, from people like Malcolm X. And I came across Malcolm X being interviewed by the U.S. news media. And he talked about the power of media in that interview and saying how it can be used to program the American people to do whatever they want them, them to do, you know, get behind a war. You know, one day this country is your friend and next, the next year the media flips the script and now everybody's hating that country and calling it an enemy. You know, that's the power of media. And, and we know his quote. I got it memorized by heart that uh, media is the most powerful entity on the face of the planet because it controls the minds of the masses and that's power. They have the power to make the innocent look guilty and the guilty look innocent. That's power. And that, and, and so again, if you don't understand the power of an image of a black woman, a strong black woman climbing that pole and snatching down that terrorist flag, then you don't understand the power of media. You don't understand the power of propaganda and how it's used. And Malcolm certainly understood it. And I picked up on that. And because I had a background from the United States military in communications, I knew that I'm going that that's why that's probably why the creator, you know, allowed me to go in the military to get that skill so that I could then come out and use that what I learned to then create an independent black media platform in the, in, in working in uh, radio. Because that's what I worked with a lot was radio communications when I was in there. So, again, if you don't think that what she did wasn't worth anything then again i hope you will turn into some uh, a program i'm gonna do later this week on war and propaganda and that's why you just heard that clip malcolm talked about why muhammad ali why you know he was so important and why they went after him it's because of he was pushing that black strong you know, that, that black strong image to black people are standing up to the system, not kissing the systems behind, rebelling. He was a rebel. No, I'm not going to Vietnam. Ain't no Vietnamese ever called me nigger. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so that's what Malcolm was talking about. Cause then all the masses of the folks, they hear, hear, uh, Muhammad talking about I'm the greatest. Then all these masses of black people going to be walking around talking about I'm the greatest too. So before we just jump up, criticize, minimize, make sure that we have studied, you know, to show ourselves approved. All right. So, sis, before we move on to talk about Tom Manning and the uh, United Freedom Front, did you have any final thoughts on on, on uh, Sister Bree and, and, and James? Uh, what's his name again? Tyson? Oh, Sister Amijo, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Thank Sister Amijo. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. I had you uh, muted while I was uh, in the break. Go oh. ahead, please. Oh, no, I was just going to say that I agree with your entire statement. You know, for people who would devalue such an act that they really don't, they don't get it. 
No, but we're going to help them get it, aren't we? Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> That's what we're here exactly. for, right? We ain't here to condemn them or, or you know, fault them for not knowing these things. That's why this network exists, so we can share information. All right, so I don't want anybody to take that the wrong way. Like, you know, I'm attacking you because you don't know something. I'm just presenting the information that obviously you are demonstrating to me you are unaware of. So, you know, hope that you ain't going to fall out with me and you're still going to be my brothers and sisters out there. Uh, and I realize we, ain't, we are not going to agree 100% on everything, but that's okay. As long as we agree on the most important stuff, that white supremacists uh, need to be dealt with and white from the face of this earth. If we can agree on that, then psh, the rest of the stuff is small stuff. Anyway, moving on. want to talk about Thomas W. Manning, sis, do you know how long Tom has been locked up? Uh, I think Tom has been locked up for uh, at least thirty-five um, years, thirty, forty years. Yeah, thirty. Yeah. Um, let me let me share share this with you first. Uh, let me do it. Let me do it like this. Uh, I'm gonna share from uh, DenverABC.wordpress.com, which keeps a database on political prisoners you can go there type in thomas manning uh you also have find his address i'm gonna get that out in case you want to write him thomas manning number 10373-016 today is his birthday by the way um he is is being held as a political prisoner at f m c butner federal medical center p.o box 1600 Butner, North Carolina, 27509. Thomas Manning is an anti-imperialist revolutionary who was active in the United Freedom Front, a clandestine anti-imperialist organization that carried out targeted bombings of corporate buildings, courthouses, and military facilities, and also carried out bank robberies to fund revolutionary projects. He was unjustly sentenced to 80 years in prison for killing a New Jersey state trooper in self-defense. Now, I'm going to read some. um, This is how the New York Times uh, reported when he was sentenced. This is the headline, and this is from 1987. In 1987, that was my first year going in the military. And Thomas Manning is a former military veteran, a Vietnam veteran at that. Um, anyway, it's titled Manning Sentenced to Life in Prison and Murder of Trooper in, New- in Jersey. Thomas Daniel W. Manning, an avowed revolutionary, was sentenced today to life in prison for the murder of Trooper Philip J. Uh, Lamonaco. The highly decorated trooper died in a shootout when he stopped Mr. Manning's car on December 21st, 1981 on Interstate 80 in rural Warren County. Judge Michael R. Uh, Imbriani of Superior Court in imposing the sentence specified that Mr. Manning would not be eligible for parole for 30 years. He ordered that the term follow rather than be served concurrently with a 53-year sentence Mr. Manning is serving for his role in bombings of military installations and government and corporate buildings in the New York metropolitan region, uh, citation of bank robberies. 
Judge Ibriani told Mr. Manning that he was imposing a maximum sentence because of your long and continuous use of violence. And I'm going to stop it right there uh, because y'all know uh, New York Times is, is, is racist suspect media. And so they are going to frame things in a way. And uh, it's just too long of an article. But I just wanted to share that with you. Now, I again, in case you don't know, Thomas Manning is a white person that we would classify as white. Because I hear people talk about, you know, that there has never been another John Brown. Well, I'm saying, well, you just ain't done your research, man. You just ain't done your research. And it's a reason that you ain't heard of Thomas Manning or any of the other white revolutionaries who took such revolutionary acts uh, and, and and radical acts to engage, you know, in, in using their military training and turning it right back on the people who had sent them across the world to oppress other non-white people, uh, uh, non-white right. people of Vietnam. And, and so right. the reason I have, I have this theory, uh, Sister Mija, my theory is, is that they're hiding this history because they don't want other little white kids to grow up and be another Thomas Manning or Ray Lavashore or, or any of the white people. Oh, who, oh of course, because, who, yeah. you know, even, um, you know, Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers, they have a book called Race Trader, you know, um, and that's, you know, a common term that is just often used towards, you know, uh, white allies within the struggle. And, you know, because, you know, white people, you know, will see people as, as, as traitorous, you know, and then communities of color don't have time or too busy struggling to tell you know, their own story. So therefore, stories like Tom and Ray and Bernadine and David Gilbert and Marilyn Buck, you know, those stories don't always often get told. Right. And, and so here on Political Prisoner Radio, your racial classification does not matter. Your religious uh, beliefs does not matter. The only thing that matters is if you are a political prisoner for engaging in political activity and, and, and most certainly revolutionary activity like Thomas Manning and the others who were associated with the United Freedom Front. Cause I mean, they were really doing some rat- radical acts that we haven't seen in a long time. But I, right, exactly. I and, and I think I told you this off off air. I do think that white people should be doing the most in terms of 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 opposing their racist cousins. You know what I'm saying? I think they should right. be doing doing the most. But again, there is a reason the mainstream media does not talk about these sort of people. That there's a reason why. Thomas Manning and others, the United Freedom Front, just like the reason Black Panther Party isn't in your history books and they've been written out. The reason Malcolm X has been written out your history book, the same reason applies here. Because they don't want no little white kids to be inspired to fight against racism and white supremacy. And I guess I should mention these acts were done, these bombings and stuff were done 
uh, they were targeting, uh, corporations and stuff that w- were, uh, still doing business with South Africa. This was during the right. period when, when there was a big movement in the eighties against apartheid in South Africa. And, and, and so as also was noted here, they were also robbing banks to fund other revolutionary projects within the United States. So. Um, I don't think I have anything else, uh, Sister uh, Mijo. Is there anything else that any uh, announcements? I'll check. I know I shared some stuff on Political Prisoner Facebook page. Uh, do you got any uh, events and stuff that you wanted to share this upcoming? Um, let me see. I'm trying to think. I'm pulling up our Facebook page because I had just posted some stuff. Um, earlier today that I had gotten in the email and I was just checking my email and I see that um, the Jericho movement has sent me some stuff let me see uh, let me see uh, here is a, a event that from the Peace Through Justice Foundation that was sent to me um, it's in reference to uh, how you pronounce her name Rasmia Oda mm-hmm. okay uh, Assalamu alaikum, greetings of peace. Three months ago, we held an emergency mobilization in front of the U.S. Bureau of Prisons headquarters in Washington, D.C. Oh, this is for Dr. Afia Siddiqui. Okay. The urgent circumstance connected to that mobilization has not changed. It has only deepened. Last year, in the month of Ramadan, we were blessed to help lead one of the most successful petition drives ever to go up on the White House website platform known as We the People. At the end of the 30-day drive, over 100,000 people registered their support for the uh, repatriation of Afia. We now have approximately 19 days left in this year's blessed month of Ramadan, and we have decided today to launch another effort on behalf of our sister with the exception, with the expectation that in the long run, other political prisoners will benefit from this noble effort as well. Our goal is to raise $50,000 in seed money to fund a multi-layer campaign, a well-organized, strategically thought-out activism. Uh, to my Muslim brethren, we ask that you share your zakat with us for this very important drive. The work of the Peace Through Justice Foundation is zakat eligible. And as uh, Sheikh Ibn uh, Taymiyyah and many other scholars have noted, freeing the prisoners is one of the greatest compulsory deeds. And spending ransom money and other means towards that end is one of the greatest ways to come close to Allah, the crowdfunding site at which to make a donation, large or small, is spreadinglight.org. Spreadinglight.org. Please, please, please share the link below and encourage anyone and everyone who has expressed concern for this long-suffering daughter, mother, sister to give. There is a short video on the site from the rally last March in Washington. Now, if you have any, uh, Questions you can reach brother, uh, I think that's El Hajj Mari Salakan. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you can reach him at 202-246-9608. And again, that's posted to our political prisoner radio.
Facebook page. Just type in Political Prisoner Radio in the Facebook search engine. That'll bring you up on the page. Please like the page, but don't just like the page. You got to then take a second action and then get uh, to get updates, all right? Or get notifications is what it's called. And then that way it'll show up in your feed. Sis, did you have any uh, other events coming up? Um, there is an event July 1st at the 1199 CSU United Healthcare Workers East in New York. Um, that is a, an event, the New York Solidarity with Vieques. Um, quarterly invites you to the New York premiere of uh, Vieques and inconclusive battle. Um, after decades of struggle and opposition, the U.S. Navy ended their military maneuvers on the Puerto Rican island municipality of Vieques in May of 2003. Twelve years later, the residents of Vieques continued to demand the complete decontamination and devolution of the Vieques land occupied by the U.S. Navy. Unsatisfied with the lack of change, the residents of Vieques faced new struggles for justice on the island. The film explores these new struggles and brings light to the current political reality of the case. All right. Was there anything else? Um, I did also want to mention, um, as we were speaking earlier um, with the sister from No Separate Justice and talking about making those connections um, and looking at you know, local, national, and um, international political prisoners. I just wanted to mention that uh, a Palestinian political prisoner, um, Kader Adnan, is supposed to be uh, released in um, two weeks from an Israeli prison. Um, and that was confirmed this evening by um, his lawyer speaking to um, Al Jahir's um, Adnan had uh, also agreed to end his 55-day um, long um, hunger strike. Um, so he is supposed to be freed um, on July 12th. Okay. All right. So, again, people, please follow our page, Political Prisoner Radio. That's there on Facebook. You can also uh, find podcasts in two different places. You can, of course, on our main page, Political Prisoner Radio, on blacktalkradionetwork.com if you hover over it well even if you just go to the main profile page there's a media player there that holds all the archives um, we're on Stitcher as well I think that's the one that's on that page uh, but we also maintain a blog in case something happened to Black Talk Radio Network I try to have backups uh, that would be politicalprisonerradio.blogspot.com again that's politicalprisonerradio.com dot blogspot dot com and um I can't think of anything else of uh, sis um so did you have any final thoughts for the listeners you wanted to live with them? Uh, I guess my final thoughts would be that um you know for folks to stay you know posted up and make sure that um sister Bree and um James um do not become um you know prisoners on the inside that we continue to rally around them um that we continue to be vigilant regarding all the domestic terrorism happening in the united states um there's been additional um police terrorism and and genocide happening there was another person that was murdered here um in in baltimore county 
um, and for people to wake up and, and to rise up and, and train and, um, you know, we can't continue to, uh, you know, keep, keep living this way. We've, we've got to, we've got to make some serious changes. Right. Um, like, um, I learned from the political prisoner movement and I believe it was, uh, Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. who I heard say, dare to struggle, dare to win. You know, right. dare to struggle. If you don't struggle, you can't win. If you don't fight, you can't win. You can't do nothing sitting on your behind. And we all have a role to play. You, we all have different gifts. We all have different talents. So, you know, don't think that your gift may be too small. All right. And, and then even if you are not the one to climb a pole and, and snatch down a terrorist flag or, or climb a monument with a sledgehammer and bust the head off of it or, or if you're not one to, to, you know, break into a prison and, and free physically free our political prisoners you know if you you know if you're not one to take those type of actions well guess what you you can fund it you can make donations these political prisoners they have different you know campaigns and stuff like that they need commissary you know things that they need behind the bars um then when they get out you know they need money when they get out and and so you know there are many different ways you can contribute to the struggle so don't think that you know you can't you just got to want to get in it so dare to struggle dare to win if if you can't get out here and do something then support somebody who can all right and so i'll uh leave uh close out with this i'll be on air tomorrow at four o'clock p.m eastern time uh my guest will be new abolitionist max parthas he will uh, join me on black talk radio news and we're going to discuss his experience out at the confederate flag rally on the state house capitol he has some interaction with the supporters of the confederacy and what he said is is pretty interesting in the interactions he had and so he's going to come on and he's going to share that with us tomorrow all right, going to close it out and say, you know, recognize the fact that you live behind enemy lines, that America is a battlefield and there are casualties being reported every day so that you don't become a casualty or at least you can reduce the likelihood that you will become a casualty. Then you need to develop battlefield awareness. Battlefield awareness will keep people from running up in your church and gunning you down. Battlefield awareness will keep uh, uh, racist terrorists from coming in the night and burning down your church. Battlefield awareness will help you um, survive a police encounter. So develop, develop battlefield awareness especially we got to teach our children that battlefield awareness so that they don't become casualties behind these enemy lines. So we're out of here. This is Political Prisoner Radio signing off. Peace and blessings to all. The police the same way. They put this club upside your head. And then turn around and accuse you of attacking them. Every case of police brutality against a Negro follows the same pattern. They attack you, bust you all upside your mouth, and then take you to court and charge you with assault. What kind of democracy is that? What kind of uh, freedom is that? What kind of social or political system is it when a black man has no voice in court.
has no nothing on his side other than what the white man chooses to give him. My brothers and sisters, we have to put a stop to this. And it will never be stopped until we stop it ourselves. They attack the victim. And then the criminal who attacked the victim accuses the victim of attacking him. This is American justice. This is American democracy. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.